Luke is closed off to the force when we first meet him, and, and that made sense to me for a lot of reasons. I needed to find a way into why he's on that island that wasn't just him hiding and being a coward. So the thing that would make sense to me is if he's actually come to realize that the galaxy thinks it wants the Jedi back. But the Jedi have done nothing but add to the problems of the universe. And the most selfless act he can do is to do what he couldn't do in The Empire Strikes Back and ignore the calls of help from his friends and lock himself off. You must not go. But Han and Leia will die if I don't. Even Yoda cannot see their fate. And suddenly it turns to this kind of burden that he has to hold. He would love to jump back in and help everybody, but he's realized that if he brings the Jedi back into this, then the Sith are going to rise up again, and the whole thing is going to start again, and it's just going to be more, more misery. Jedi have to die so that the light can rise from a new source that will maybe work better. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. I am your solo host for this mini episode, Carl LeClaire, and this episode is called Balancing the Past and Future, the Sequel Trilogy. Um, What I really would love to do in this little episode is just kind of give a little bit of my hindsight thoughts on the sequel trilogy as a whole. It's come to a close now. We've got Rise of Skywalker on home release, um, and I've watched it a lot (laughs) since it's been uh, available on home release. Um, But it's also had me revisiting Last Jedi a lot as of late, which I have just even deepened my appreciation and love for as well. And a lot of this is coming out of watching particularly uh, two of the behind-the-scenes documentaries from both Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. So um, when we got The Last Skywalker a few years ago, we got this wonderful making-of documentary called The Director and the Jedi. We really get to look at Ryan Johnson and his creative process in Last Jedi. And then, of course, with Rise of Skywalker, we just got this other great documentary called The Skywalker Legacy, looking at how J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio went about creating Episode Nine and the story they are telling. Um, so... I've just been thinking a lot about this and and kind of wrapping my head around making sense of this sequel trilogy. Um, so obviously these are just my thoughts and my reflections, but um, I really had a good time going back and revisiting these documentaries a few times and really thinking about the story and the impact of the sequel trilogy. Um, so hopefully you'll en- enjoy a little bit of my insight. Um, I'm going to be pulling in a few clips from both of the, the series. Um, if you've not watched either of those documentaries, I highly encourage you to do so. Um, They're both phenomenal, and uh, you really get a sense of both Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams' deep love and passion for Star Wars, which is incredibly important. Um, Just one quick little note um, about the the main show in general is uh, we are going to – our This is Madness tournament is coming to an end. We have our final – uh, showdown of our light side versus dark side winners, which is Anakin Skywalker for the light and the Emperor for the dark. Um, we are going to be posting that matchup on uh, Monday morning, 
and using that as our regular matchup for this coming week's episode. So uh, be sure to weigh in on any any of our social media platforms for that. Um, but yeah, back to uh, this uh, sequel trilogy stuff. Um, a couple of points I want to make before diving into each film kind of in their individual way is um, just literally addressing the fact that the sequel trilogy does feel disjointed. Um, lots of folks will will say that, right? That if only they had sat down and had a grand, grand plan for how to tell this story, um, it, it would have felt better connected. Um, and I think that that's a, that there's a lot of validity in that argument. Um, I think, again, people tend to forget that George Lucas, when creating specifically the original trilogy, did not have a grand plan. Um, he certainly had some general ideas, um, but so much of that evolved with time, like any creative process is going to. Um, so don't forget that this isn't something new to the sequel trilogy. Um, but that being said, it, it certainly did suffer from having very different creative um, <laughs> takes on this. Um, but also what I want to state before getting into the nitty gritty as well is that um, both of our storytellers, both Ryan Johnson and JJ Abrams um, are great storytellers in their own right. And they both clearly approached their stories with a deep love for star Wars. And these were stories that they wanted to tell. Um, so n- no matter how they sit with you, whether you like, the movies or you dislike the movies, I think it's important to remember that both creators and all of the creative talent that was involved in all three of these films, whether it's behind the camera or in front of the camera, put their heart and soul into these projects. And I think that in and of itself deserves our respect and our love. Um, And I very much love and appreciate what JJ and Ryan gave us in the sequel trilogy. Um, While it is imperfect, I think, their passion for star Wars really comes across. Um, and that's kind of what I want to focus this on is, is, is again, looking more at the positives of what this trilogy gave. Um, I do plan on pointing out some of the things that I think didn't work great. Um, but I want to keep, you know, start by stating that I deeply respect both of these storytellers and what they were trying to get across. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not a particularly creative person, so I give them props for doing the best with what they had. And I think overall they did a really beautiful job. Um, so that being said, as I finished rewatching both of these documentaries the first time just last week, um, it kind of just this thought came into my head about we have two very different kinds of storytellers telling this sequel trilogy. Um, and kind of my thesis, if you will, if, if, if I'm trying to prove a point is simply that um, what makes them different is that J.J. Uh, Abrams is telling a story about what Star Wars meant to him, what it used to be, right? So it's him kind of looking back and honoring all of the beauty of what Star Wars used to be for him. Whereas Ryan Johnson is telling a story about what Star Wars could be, right? So um, he's looking at this thing that he loved for his childhood and then looking forward to this is something so wonderful. How can I build it out into being something new and a little bit different? So at the end of the day, you, you have a creator that very much is anchored in nostalgia, which is what JJ Abrams gave us. And then you have another storyteller who's really focused on telling something new, um, kind of expanding the myth into a new realm. Um, so 
I think that's just the truth of both of these directors. Um, I don't think either is right or wrong either. Um, I think it's just two very different approaches to telling these stories. Um, again, JJ is somebody who's looking back, whereas Ryan is someone looking forward. Um, and again, I think within that, there is a balance between the past and the future. And they're both necessary. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what the sequel trilogy is about, is trying, trying to make sense of the past and make something new for the future. Now, does the sequel trilogy do that and, uh, and you know, flawlessly? Certainly not. Um, but no story is perfect. So, um, so that being said, I kind of want to jump into uh, the ways in which we see that kind of uh, pan out in, in the sequel trilogy um, through each film, how... You know, JJ is someone who's looking backwards. Ryan is looking forward. Um, and again, neither is right or wrong. I think that's important to remember. I think at the end of the day, we have preferences, right? Um, some fans wanted something brand new and different and to expand. Hence their strong love for Last Jedi. And then there were also a lot of fans who really just wanted something that honored the past, something that really reminded them of everything they've always loved about Star Wars. And I think J.J. does a great job of capturing that. Um, both of these elements, I think, are incredibly important. And that being said, I think they each do both of them within their stories, right? J.J., um, while I find him to be very nostalgia-heavy, he also does create some new elements to the story. And obviously, while Ryan is someone who's very much looking to the future and what the story can become, I think he's also very much um, does dip his hands into the past of what is also very good from the past of Star Wars. So again, they both do it in their own way, but I think in the grand scheme of things, there is a bit of this difference. So let's take a look at Force Awakens, right? So Force Awakens is a kind of our uh, re-entry into the world of Star Wars, if you will. Um, and uh, what I love about uh, the question that J.J. Abrams approached with The Force Awakens was, why is the Star Wars myth still needed today? Right. This is something that he discusses in, in the art and making of Force Awakens book. Um, is This is the pinnacle question that he and Kathleen Kennedy posed to the creative team as they sat down to create The Force Awakens. Is Why do we think that this story still matters? Why do people still need Star Wars in our mythological pop culture? Um, and I think for J.J. Abrams, the point he does a great job of making with Force Awakens is that he simply understands that the Star Wars myth has shaped so many people's lives, himself included, right? That um, you, there is this really deep-seated belief that the Star Wars story is more than just an entertainment movie, that there's something within it that shapes our very lives. And that's a story worth telling again. Um, and I think that was a wonderful way of approaching Force Awakens. Um, uh, my favorite book of all time is, is a book titled My Best Friend is a Wookiee. It's written by Tony Pachiti. And Tony is a guy who's basically my age. I think he's a year older than me. Um, he actually grew up in the Boston area. Um, I've connected with him on social media since reading his book. He's an incredibly nice guy. But the point that uh, Tony makes in his book is that Star Wars was this moral compass for him as someone who grew up in a like non-religious upbringing. Um, you know, he grew up in a very secular world, and yet Star Wars provided this this morality and this ethic tale within its myth that helped shape his own life. 
And I think that's the power of Star Wars, right? Is that it does give us so much more um, out of out of life. It's this really beautiful story that's worth telling. Um, and that's exactly what Force Awakens did. It recaptured that magic of the original movies and kind of rekindled our culture's desire for the Star Wars myth. Um, so again, Force Awakens was a great way of opening the door again to the Star Wars world. Um, right. We've all heard the arguments that, oh, it's just a rehash of A New Hope or blah, blah, blah. And you know what? That's that's valid. It is. It is very similar in feel and pace to A New Hope. Um, but again, that's purposeful. There's a reason for that is JJ's just opening the door again. He's reminding us of the magic of this myth. Um, and you know, and that's kind of how he hands off the lightsaber you know, kind of figuratively here to Ryan Johnson is he's, he set up that world again. He got us all excited for that world again. And now, um, we move into the last Jedi and Ryan Johnson's approach, which is, you know, a bit different from JJ's um, in creating the Star Wars story. And I would say that Ryan Johnson's approach in Last Jedi is kind of asking the question, how do we make the Star Wars myth something new, right? So we've just been reminded that this is a myth that's worth telling. It's a myth worth living in again. So Ryan's saying, okay, well, rather than just completely redoing the story we've already been told, what's something new? How can I push this myth forward? Um, and I think one of the blatant ways he sets that up right at the top of the movie, right, is uh, the way he portrays Luke Skywalker. And it's, I, you know, I've really come to love it. I, I, I will own the fact that obviously initially I, I was not a fan of Last Jedi. Um, and there's still things that obviously don't work for me. But um, the biggest one for me initially was the Luke Skywalker portrayal. But I don't want it any other way. I think what Ryan Johnson did is absolutely perfect with Luke Skywalker. And, and what he basically tells us is that Luke is not a God, right? And that is something that I think that the legends canon really kind of uh, took advantage of. The legends canon really does turn Luke into this kind of perfect God-like figure. Um, and that's not really good, right? Like that's not, that's, there's no room for an arc there. Um, and I know that the, I'm missing the subtleties of the legends portrayal. And I'm, I'm, I know that there are people who are very well versed in legends who love that version of Luke Skywalker. And that's totally valid. But I think in order to tell his story in a movie again, you can't just have him save the day because this isn't his story anymore. So I love that Ryan Johnson opens up the fact that Luke isn't a god. Um, and he also looks at the Force and says it's not a superpower. Also an incredibly important element. You know, um, Ryan talks a lot about how he doesn't want the Force just to be this uh, mystical thing that, I mean, we literally hear those words out of Ray's voice, right? That, you know, it's, it's a power that helps you control things and move things with your mind, right? That's not what it's about at all. That's what Last Jedi kind of tells us is that the Force is something beyond powers. Um, and I think that's a really insightful and necessary step to move the Star Wars myth forward. Um, is this, this isn't about power. It's not about being perfect. Um, and right. Another central theme that Ryan gives us in last Jedi is that there's the reality that our heroes can, can fail. They can fail us. Um, and in light of that failure, it also opens a door for ways of moving forward. Um, we need to find new ways of moving forward. Again, that's what this, this particular story is about is, 
he's taking this myth and saying, let's move it forward. Um, because things from our past are, you know, these legends of old, they're not perfect and that's okay. Right. Um, we learn more from our failures as Yoda reminds us. Um, but there is also deeply embedded in the last Jedi is a tremendous respect for what came before. And we get that personified in the character of Ray and in her, her ardent belief that the Jedi are necessary. And she does believe in the legend of Luke Skywalker. And she thinks that it still is valuable. It still has purpose and meaning. And she wants to bring that to light. Um, but we also have to create new legends, right? So, Ray goes to Octo with the idea of, oh, I need, you know, the legends of the past to come to come up again, to rise up and fix our current problems. Not understanding that Ray is the solution now, not Luke, right? This is a new story. This is moving the story forward. And I think that that's personified in Yoda. When Yoda is giving that final instruction to Luke and, you know, says, you lost Ben Solo. We can't lose Ray, right? Yoda understands that she is the future of the Jedi. Um, we need these new legends to speak to us in the intricacies of, of life today. Um, and I think that that's an incredibly important message that, you know, um, even in spite of failure, there are ways of moving forward. Um, so Ryan kind of looks at the old story and, and I don't think he's looking at it in any respect of saying, let's get rid of everything you've heard before. That's not what this is about at all, but it's rather of how do we hold on to the goodness of what came before, but hold it up into a new light. How do we let it become something new? Um, that's really the point of last Jedi is it's saying, saying about our star Wars myth. This is super valuable. Let's make it even more valuable in the world we live in today. Um, so let me play this other clip um, from the, the director in the Jedi that I think uh, makes this point really beautifully. In my mind, Luke's big thing in this movie is taking on that mantle of becoming a symbol of hope and inspire a whole new generation. He genuinely believes the light needs to find another hero. I wanted Luke's death to be on Luke's terms. I wanted it to be peaceful, to feel like a victory. That's beautiful. Um, right, I think what Ryan's saying there is is so powerful. Right, that Luke is the the legend of old. He is looking back the best of what came before us. Um, and what him recapturing that Luke becoming that legend again is for one purpose. And that purpose is to be the spark of hope for a new generation. So again, I think that's kind of how last Jedi fits into this trilogy. You start with, this is a story worth telling again. It's a story worth, it's a world, a myth worth revisiting and Ryan saying, yes. And it's a myth worth giving to a new generation and, and, and living into this in a new way. Um, so Last Jedi has this very unique ability of raising these really hard questions, you know, raising the questions of uh, what does the force look like beyond the duality of Jedi and Sith? 
between light and dark, right? This whole movie is about balance and finding balance. Um, and I think that's the, honestly, that's the struggle of the sequel trilogy is finding again, like that balance of, of what came before and what lies ahead of us. Um, so as you come to the end of this movie, you have that spark of hope again, that, you know, um, things kind of fall apart, right? It's the middle act movie. Things, things from the past that used to be so good fell apart because that's life. Nothing is perfect forever. That is part of life. And that's what Ryan Johnson is challenging us with. I would say with last Jedi is that when things of, when the old things pass away or fail us, how do we, how do we move ahead? Well, we do that by finding out our own story, right? That's what Ray's question is in all of last Jedi is what is my place in all of this? We are Ray in last Jedi. What is our place in this story, in this story that was imperfect, that did fall apart? How do we move forward? How do we do something new? And I, I, I just think it's so wonderful that Ryan Johnson gave us those questions and asked those questions um, and challenged us as a fandom and as a culture to look at the reality of what do we do when perfect things fall apart? How do we rebuild them? And how do we rebuild them in a new way? Because again, that's the question is, is this needs to be something new because the old way didn't work. It didn't last forever. So what do we find that can be new? So taking that metaphorical lightsaber, uh, Ryan Johnson hands it back to JJ Abrams. And of course, as many of you know, um, JJ was never intended to write, let alone direct episode nine, right? We all know the drama of Colin Trevorrow. We don't know all the details, of course, but JJ is kind of brought in last minute. He brings in Chris Terrio and they kind of are rushed to tell this final act of not only this trilogy, but of this now nine part saga. Um, so I will say that I think rise of Skywalker, um, right. So let me back up a second here. So what is JJ's approach in rise of Skywalker when he's handed that metaphorical lightsaber back is what is the question he's trying to answer? And I think it's the question that we were all going to have to ask, which is how do we finish this 40 year old saga, right? That's the huge daunting question facing JJ is he's brought back in to, to wrap this up. Um, and I, I, I would say this right now, and this is my opinion. I don't think that we get a solid answer from rise of Skywalker. As much as I love rise of Skywalker, I don't think it solidly answers the question of how do we wrap up this sequel saga and the whole saga. I think it's, I love rise of Skywalker a lot, but I don't think it does an adequate job of that. But I don't also don't put the blame on JJ Abrams. Um, Cause first off, why waste your energy blaming people? And secondly, if, if that being said, if there is anyone to blame, if you have to do it, I blame Bob Iger. <laughs> um, I, I genuinely do because Disney as a capitalist uh, corporation, they want their money. They want the movie to come out on their schedule. So, um, you know, that's, you had a time crunch. So I think JJ and Chris Terrio do the best they can on a limited time scale. Um, but all of that aside, this question of how do we finish out the 40 year saga this is what JJ and Chris Terry are trying to do with episode nine. And the way they kind of start approaching that question though, again, is it goes to the question of Ray and who is Ray in this story? Because again, Ray is our new hero. This is Ray's story in the same way that the originals were Luke's and the prequels are Anakin's. This is Ray's story. 
So how do you start to bring her character arc to a close? And according to JJ, you do that by taking Ray to the heart of darkness, both the darkness that lies within her and externally. And the fact that she'll have to vanquish that, um, that darkness and, up until the sequel trilogy, who has personified darkness and evil? Sheev Palpatine, which is why I think they bring him back. Whether or not you think that's a good decision or not, I think, again, there's an intentionality there behind the fact that there is an ancient evil. There's been a consistent evil throughout this Skywalker saga. So even Rey will have to face that. So um, let me pull up what, uh, what our creators have to say about this particular aspect we knew from the beginning that there would be a heart of darknessy structure to the movie and that this would be about ray's journey to the darkest place both in the galaxy and for her but we had to work a lot to try to figure out exactly what that was exactly what it meant how the past would come into the story how the present and future would interact with that past the idea came up of well what if palpatine lived on in some way Within about 30 seconds of discussing that idea, we just knew that it was the right idea because we knew that this has always been a story of Skywalkers and Palpatines. It's a generational story. I and mean, the, the idea of the story of these grandchildren grappling with the same things that their predecessors had dealt with, it just felt poetic. My favorite scene from the prequels, Palpatine telling Anakin the story of, of Darth Plagueis the Wise and his obsession with cheating death and... It sits there like the greatest setup of all time. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. So it could be this unholy combination of trying to prolong life both through medical means and through dark magic. Um, so uh, just to clarify who those voices were chris terrio is the first one speaking and then obviously jj abrams picks up after him um but we hear you know specifically jj talking about this is a generational story he's trying to write as he's as he's clearly writing the story he's trying to think of how do i bring this nine-part saga to a close and for him that was it was necessary to bring back palpatine now right for those of us who remember the dark empire comics from the the early 90s that's exactly the story that existed then that the emperor is comes back as a clone um and luke skywalker has to face him down by you know he succumbs to the dark side initially but he does that in order to bring down palpatine um so again like i think this shows that jj grew up with these stories in his head as a kid of what might happen after return of the jedi and I think that's the story he's telling, right? Is he's looking looking back to these things that he had obviously kind of built up um, in his head, and that's the story he's choosing to tell here. Um, and I think by bringing Palpatine back, um, we're seeing that this is a story that looks at the radical fundamentalism of power, and that that needs to be destroyed at its source. Um, that's what I would say is something I appreciate about Palpatine actually being back is he is, he is this radical fundamentalist with these crazy followers um, and their obsession with power, literally the strongest power of all, which is the power over death. Um, but he is the fullness of evil. Um, and uh, again, I, I, in a weird way, kind of connect this to the biblical story of Noah and Noah's Ark. Um, the, the, 
the primary truth of that biblical story um, is that God can't abide evil. God will eradicate evil. When there is a fullness of evil, God will make sure it gets eliminated. Um, and I think in a, in a similar way, episode nine is kind of what JJ is trying to ask is, is, well, what do we do about fundamental evil? Um, how do we get rid of it? Well, we have to get rid of it at its source. Um, and I think, uh, my favorite scene that kind of personifies that is when Ray is deflecting that lightning back at Palpatine and it destroys him body and soul. We can imagine, and also destroys that Sith throne. I absolutely love that moment because in that moment we see this wonderful analogy of Ray defeating patriarchal power. And I think that's what the Sith throne in our modern world somewhat represents is we have so many men in power in the world who are obsessed with power and maintaining it just for themselves or maybe their closest friends. Um, but in this story, JJ is telling us that it's important to destroy those structures of power that keep others away from it. Um, you know, that, that power that corrupts people in such a powerful way that it keeps others at, at a distance. Um, that's something worth destroying. And I think that's the story um, JJ is telling us when we see Ray eradicate that Sith throne. Um, so, uh, you know, um, going back to that point I, I, I made, though, about JJ kind of telling the stories that he probably created as a child. And a lot of, you know, a lot of kids probably of the 70s and 80s as they played with those action figures in their backyard or in their bedroom, you know, in, in all of us, like I know myself when I was telling those Star Wars stories as I played with my toys, we came up with some fantastical plots because that's the mind of a child. And as Yoda says, you know, truly wonderful the mind of a child is. I think there is something very childlike in the story JJ is telling um, and it's kind of fundamental good versus evil. Um, uh, right. But, but that's obviously a bit of a departure from kind of the nuanced gray questions that Ryan was asking. So JJ is kind of rolling this back into that, just looking back at the classic story of good versus evil. Um, and, you know, we see our legendary heroes playing, um, you know, significant roles in episode nine. Um, and I would say that these heroes of the past provide a direction for our new heroes. Um, so I don't think they themselves are fixing the problems, but they're encouraging our new generation, our next, you know, the, the new generation of heroes. They're giving them that sense of direction of how to go about winning. And again, that's that beautiful scene with Poe, you know, uh, confessing to, to Leia's now deceased body that he doesn't know what to do. He's not ready. And then Lando comes in and offers this bit of direction um, from his own lived experience, which is um, you win by working with your family, by working together. Um, and then Poe takes it from there. In the same way, Han coming back and having that conversation with, with Kylo slash Ben, it's not that he's going to, that Han Solo or even Leia fix the problems, but they encourage Ben. They remind him of who he really is. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, the reason JJ kind of has, you know, Han, Luke, Leia and, and Lando now kind of playing more significant roles is because for JJ, these were heroes that taught him lessons. So he puts that truth into this final story that the, the heroes he grew up with that taught him stuff, he wanted to put them into this story, teaching our canonical new heroes, the very lessons that 
taught JJ probably as a young person. And I think that that's really beautiful. Um, so, uh, you know, that being said, I would say one of the biggest, um, flaws of, of episode nine though, is that I don't think JJ follows through, um, on the reality that there is something beyond duality and dark and light. Um, this was something again, that Ryan kind of introduced to us, um, with last Jedi is that, you know, it's, it's, you got to break free of this cycle. I mean, that was something Katie talked about a lot as we were building up to episode nine. Um, it was that, you know, the beautiful reality that there, there needs to be something more beyond duality. Um, and I think that JJ just kind of upheld the, the simple duality of light versus dark. And I think for a lot of folks that worked, but I think for those who really latched on to this being a new type of story, it kind of left you wanting for more. Um, and I, and, and I would say for me at this point, it kind of leaves me wanting for a bit more too. Cause I think, um, Ryan asked a great question of how do we move, how do we move beyond duality? And JJ just kind of rolled it back and said, life is duality. <laughs> so, um, so it just kind of stinks. Um, but that, that said as well, I think JJ offers us something really wonderful though, in the character of Ray. Um, Ray is a new kind of Jedi, um, who unburdens herself of any sort of dogmatic teachings. So, right, the the burden of the Jedi in the prequel era is that they're so dogmatic, and that's what leads to their downfall. But even Luke in Last Jedi, he's become so dogmatic in his belief that the Jedi need to end. Um, but but Ray steps away from that too. So she is she is kind of that in between character, who you know is certainly not going to. I would imagine not go back to the old Republic way of being a Jedi Order. Um, but she also steps away from Luke's determined belief that the Jedi order needs to end. Right. So she does exist in that, that beautiful middle where the Jedi need to go on, but they need to be something freer than they've ever been. Um, and I think that's something, um, JJ sees Ray being as a new kind of Jedi. Um, so does she exist beyond that duality? Um, I would say not really because, of um, of the fact that we don't really get to see how she grapples with that darkness that still lives within her. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure there are people that disagree with me that would say that she does, and, and I'm more than happy to listen to why you think she does because I, I just don't see it. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Um, but, yeah, uh, again, something I think that works really well with... Um, what JJ also does with this movie though, is he, he really does recapture, um, kind of that grand mythological feeling of star Wars. Um, and, uh, let's hear him talk about that in this particular clip. What's at stake? Right from episode seven, from the scene in which Ray is interrogated by Ren, it's clear that they have a connection, that they understand each other, that they can literally read each other's minds. They're made uncomfortable by it, and yet they're both drawn to each other. Of course, episode eight furthered it by creating the idea of force connection. And I think what we wanted to do was complicate that and say, actually, their their, their connection is, 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 is deeper than that. We began talking about them as a, a mythic concept, which is in Joseph Campbell, which is the, the mythic dyad, that they're, they're two parts of the same whole. And then finally, we, we began talking about how if the dyad ever came together, its power would be immeasurable. 
when we first read the script. Um, so that's that's Chris Terrio talking about um, the whole idea of creating the the force dyad between Ray and Kylo. Um, again, it's this. It is a big grand thing to bring in a third act of a trilogy, let alone the final act of a nine part saga, right? Um, I appreciate that though, but I also you know I appreciate that um, they revisited Joseph Campbell, which. Um, you know, and, and this idea of the, of the dyad. Now I've also read a lot of great articles about why it's important that we also distance ourselves from Joseph Campbell, um, uh, in the new era of star Wars. And, and there's a lot of validity in that as well. So right now I'm currently reading a book all on the heroine's journey specifically on that. And it is something distinctly different from the hero's journey. And, um, it's sad to say that I, I think episode nine undoes, it doesn't undo it. It doesn't complete the heroine's journey, though, however. Um, by going back to Joseph Campbell's hero's journey ideas, um, we kind of fall short of what it means to be a heroine. Um, and that's something I plan to build out a bit later. I'm still reading through this book. I'm making a lot of notes. I want to be a little bit more educated and intelligent about these particular things before I say a lot more. Um, but, uh, you know, that being said, um, I do appreciate that J.J. and Chris Terrio want to recapture that grand mythic feel of star Wars. And I think you get that by bringing the emperor back and by creating something like a force dyad. Um, I wish the dyad was explored more. Um, like it would have been really cool if that was introduced in episode seven, you know, if JJ had, had thought to bring that in then and, and, you know, it kind of becomes something we build into um, it kind of like the myth of the chosen one is brought to us in episode one. And then, you know, we don't really see the fulfillment of that until episode six. It would have been neat to have heard of the Force Dyad before the middle of the final movie, right? So I think that there, there is uh, – unfortunately, I think we're shortchanged a bit on, on building out that mythos a bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, and um, so going to this fact that Ray's journey kind of ends in episode nine without being a fulfillment of the heroine's journey, um, I think the question to ask though is, is – is that still okay? Is that still a good story? So I actually, um, I sat down with a, a, a friend of mine and she's very well read on the heroine's journey. She's very well read on, um, kind of like goddess spirituality. And I was kind of talking to her about the journey of Ray. And, uh, you know, she kind of came to the conclusion that Ray, you know, not taking the name of Palpatine or remaining as Ray, nobody, but taking the name Skywalker does kind of fall, fall a bit short of completing the heroine's journey. Um, because it, it, it doesn't quite allow Ray to encompass all of her identity, um, that there is like this, for some reason, some shame in part of her identity. Um, so again, th those are questions I want to explore at a later date when I finish this, this book I'm reading and, and can speak to it a bit more intelligently. Um, and I'm hoping to have that friend on the show cause, uh, she's very open to it. Um, but, uh, you know, the question she kind of gave back to me, though, is she said, you know what, um, even though Ray doesn't complete the heroine's journey, does that still mean her journey isn't important or powerful? You know, can it still be a powerful story about a, a heroine character, a female hero, um, even if it, you know, doesn't complete the heroine's journey? And and her argument was that, yeah, I think it's still a powerful story. Um, and, and I, you know, personally, I agree with that because I, I love the way Ray's story ends. I love that she takes the name Skywalker, um, because ultimately what that means is the way JJ closes out this nine part saga is I think what he's trying to tell us is that 
the Star Wars story is ultimately about finding out who you are and choosing the family that supports you in that journey. That's who Ray is in episode nine, right? She is someone who finally figures out all of who she is and then chooses what she wants that to be. And she chooses the family that's going to support her in that quest. And I think that's incredible, absolutely incredible and a very powerful story to anyone in our world today, right? That it's, it's important that we choose who we are, that we, we put in the work to figuring out who we are and we choose to surround ourselves with the people who support us in that. That could be blood family, but it doesn't have to be. And that's why I love Star Wars because it's fundamentally about chosen family. Um, you know, when Palpatine says to her, you know, it's, it's your birthright. It's in our blood. No, no, it's not. Like, I love that she rejects that. She rejects this silly notion that who her blood relatives are should define who she gets to become. Nope, she rejects that and chooses to be part of this grand saga. She chooses to be part of this family of heroes. Um, so I love that she chooses that, whether or not that makes it come up short of the heroine's journey, right? Um, and obviously, I'm a guy. So in a lot of ways, um, I, I can't speak from a woman's perspective or a woman's experience because I'm not one. And and I think that's why it's really, really important that we do listen to the voice of female fans right now who felt um, short-sighted by the way that this story ended um, because, you know, we got the stories with Anakin and Luke for young boys. Um, and yes, those stories are accessible to anyone, regardless of gender, race, culture, any of that. Um, but I love that the sequel trilogy is about this new female character. Um, so, uh, you know, everything I, uh, I say I also want to keep in mind the fact that I am a guy, <laughs> I'm a dude, and and my my perspective is therefore different. Um, so these are just my musings. Um, so bringing this kind of all a uh, full circle, um, I would say that the sequel trilogy is a story about finding belonging, um, and that's a really powerful story. And I'm really glad that we got it. So I'm really, I, I really appreciate that JJ asked that question in Force Awakens of why does this myth still matter? And I love that Ryan Johnson said, well, what do we need new? What do we need um, to push this story forward? Um, and then JJ kind of closing it out with saying, ultimately, what matters most is finding out who you really are and surrounding yourself with people that support that. Um, so uh, let me, I want to close out with uh, probably my favorite moment in the Skywalker legacy documentary, which comes right towards the end um, where we hear JJ kind of reflecting on, you know, was Ray, uh, why he chooses to go back to Tatooine, why Ray being there matters to him. Um, but I think it's important that we hear it from JJ so here's what JJ has to say about the ending of this saga. The idea that Ray is there, it feels like, you know, despite everything we've seen her go through and, and all we've done, there is something about that that feels primal and inevitable and really lovely. 
I think Star Wars uniquely in its mythology is about cycles of life and teachers, mentors, parents, children. It's got that generational aspect to it. There is this idea of the handing on of sabers and the handing on of a Jedi legacy. And so we have that, I think, as a generation that has inherited the characters and the stories. Just like in Star Wars, it's a privilege and it's a responsibility. Look at it. Doing it felt really emotional, because it's like a lovely emotional thing anyway. And it's uplifting and it's a proper end, like it is a story end. It's not tune in for the next episode sort of thing. Ray Skywalker. Cut. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, that was a great day. Come on. Come on. Um, so that, you know, I, that's a clip I shared on our, our Twitter a while back and, um, I love that moment. Uh, this is JJ bringing this story to a close and how he thought it should end. Um, again, does that mean you have to like it or agree with it? Of course not. But I think in his mind and in his heart, I think that's important to ma- to really pay attention to is he was re- telling a story from his heart, um, and I think for him, he took Ray, a character who is not a Skywalker, a character who in a lot of ways is a nobody. Yes, I know he makes her related to the Palpatines in episode nine. And, and whether you think that's a smart choice or not, again, doesn't really matter to me. Um, because at the end of the day, she still was Ray nobody. Um, and then chooses to be part of this grand legacy of this family that made her feel like she belongs, that she mattered. Um, And uh, I think that's a great way to close this out. So um, there you go. Those are my long ramblings and reflections on the sequel trilogy as a whole. Um, And again, just to kind of recap, I think each of these movies – have powerful uh, storytelling elements um, that enrich and enhance the experience of Star Wars. Um, So yes, you have two very different approaches, right? Uh, Again, JJ is somebody who looked back at all that Star Wars meant to him and told that story of, of how it obviously affected his life and why that mattered to him. Whereas Ryan said, but also let's make sure that we're looking forward and inspiring new generations to try new things, to be new things, um, and uh, you know, move the myth into a new generation so that it can live forever. And I think both of those are incredibly important. Um, and I think, in a very neat way, you know, the creative project that falls in between episodes eight and nine is the Mandalorian. And I would say that the Mandalorian. Um, I've yet to hear of anybody that dislikes the Mandalorian, whether they're a hardcore Star Wars fan or even a casual fan. Everyone loves the Mandalorian. And I think the Mandalorian does the perfect job of balancing the past and the future. 
Um, there's a lot of nostalgia in the Mandalorian. There's a lot of great callbacks, but they're never the reason for the story. They enhance and enrich the story, but it's also a new story looking ahead. Um, so I think, um, JJ and Ryan were both right. And they both did a wonderful job of telling stories that they thought mattered. And, um, and I, I, for one really appreciate this sequel trilogy. Um, and, uh, you know, again, we'll see what that's like further down the road as we, as we move into the future. Um, but for right now, I got to say the sequel trilogy works and it's a beautiful story about coming into your own, choosing who you want to be and surrounding yourself with people in your life. They're going to always see and honor not only who you are, but where you come from and where you're going. So there you go. Those are my thoughts on balancing the past and the future in the sequel trilogy. So I thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. Um, would love to hear your own thoughts, uh, which you can send our way an email, wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at wampaslair or Facebook at wampaslair podcast. So, Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. I am Carl, and we will see you again very soon here in the Wampus Lair.